Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. <clears throat> the gospel reading in the sermon text comes from John tonight. John 12, verses 20 through 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Father, there is much in this text that we need to mine here tonight, but we don't want to do that apart from your presence and your spirit guiding everything that happens. Working through my imperfect and very feeble lips, I pray that your power would come so that indeed we would bring glory to your name, Jesus. The name worthy of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that he is Lord. I ask this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> well, yesterday, for the first time in a very, very way too long time, um, I decided to clean my car. I mean, it had been way too long and since I had cleaned my, my sweet minivan, and it was filled to the brim with all the things that my three kids filled a car with, which is old Cheerios and old juice boxes and you name it. I mean, it was just filled to the brim. And so to help me in this monumental task, since he was one of the ones so responsible, actually him and his brother John, I enlisted both my son Jonathan and Lincoln to help me in cleaning it up, since they were so responsible for the mess in there. 
Now, Jonathan is old enough that he actually kind of, he's pretty helpful. Like, he, he can, you know, vacuum and, and he can kind of get down there and scrub. He's, you know, he's 11, so he's got a little strength. But Lincoln, on the other hand, I mean, he's six, not so much. I mean, he, and, but I wanted to give him a job. He wanted to help. He's eager to help Dad out. So I said, I said Lincoln, uh, why don't you take this uh, Lysol wipe and go over on the floorboard over there and just try and wipe out some dirt? He said, okay, Daddy. So he took the, I gave him a nice whole thing, and he went over there. At first, he was scrubbing the carpet, and there wasn't much there. You know, he wasn't doing anything. I said, no, 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 or the floorboard, you know, like where it's, there's actually like kind of harder plastic floor. He said, okay, okay. So I let him be, and I saw him, and he was really, I mean, he was grinding in there. He was really trying. And I went over there a few minutes later, and he had, he had made a dent, but... Um, you know, one of the things like you're just not cognizant of when you're a little guy is he had been literally doing it in the exact same spot for three minutes, just like, mm, mm, mm. but he went, the rest of the floorboard was completely still filthy. But in his mind, when I went over there and looked at it, you could tell he thought he was crushing it. <laughs> like you could, he was like, oh, you see, Dad, like, look what I did, look what I accomplished. And, uh, and it occurs to me uh, often when things like this happen with my kids that uh, oftentimes our accomplishments before God are a lot like my boys. In that even when we really think we're crushing it, uh, oftentimes it ends up uh, making more of a mess than we wish it did. So for example, uh, if you just look at like sort of the history of humanity, even in just you know, the last century, even in our modern day, I mean... We have such incredible power and capacity as a species that we created nuclear weapons. That's amazing. On the other hand, we straight up created nuclear weapons, which is terrifying, right? Or think about our time now with artificial intelligence and... Uh, Things like that. You're like, wow, we can do things that like, were only in sci-fi movies 30 years ago or 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. And then the other side of you is like, yeah, keep them in the sci-fi movie because it's terrifying to think about what like, Terminator is going to look like in real life when he comes to get me. Um, you know, like there's, so there's this, there's this reality that we're, we're, we have this incredible capacity because, number one, we're made in God's image. And so we have this ability to take raw material and resources and figure out amazing ways to use it. And yet, in the other, on the other hand, um, even our greatest accomplishments are tainted by the fallenness of this world, of sin. And that's always the way it is. And so there's this great illustration of this I've used a few times in my past of this quote from, uh, two quotes from H.G. Wells. You probably are familiar with the name. Uh, first quote comes from 1937, just before the beginning of World War II. This is what he says. Quote, can we doubt that presently our race, he's talking about humanity, will more than realize our boldest imaginations, that it will achieve unity and peace, and that our children will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we know, going on from strength to strength in an ever-widening circle of achievement? What man has done, the little triumphs of his present state, form but the prelude to the things that man has yet to do. H.G. Wells, 1937. Incredible optimism. Second quote comes from 1946, same man, after the war's end. 
The cold-blooded massacres of the defenseless, the return of deliberate and organized torture, mental torment, and fear to a world from which such things had seemed well-nigh banished has come near to breaking my spirit altogether. Homo sapiens, as he has been called, is played out. And so it's in the midst of this mess of human accomplishment that we read in today's text of the divine accomplishment of the cross of Christ, something that in very similar ways is a mixed thing. But it's that thing that finally accomplished what all human beings have needed to accomplish but never could. So what is that? Well, first of all, it accomplishes true glory to God. We can't accomplish that on our own. We we just can't. That's what Jesus says in various places here. Verse 26, if you look in your bulletin again, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Again in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now if one were to read those words in isolation, especially if they were reading it at the time, they would have to assume that this meant Jesus uh, was going to kick Caesar out or something and take over his throne on earth, especially on this day that we look back to the triumphal entry. That was surely in so much of the crowd's mind. They were anticipating Jesus coming in and conquering. Multitudes of people were bowing down to him as king, expecting that, that he was going to rule at any moment. But, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. We know that it's at this time that Jesus decides to go into a lengthy discussion of what his glory, his kingdom, will really look like. And namely, it's instead of a crown, it's, it's a crown of thorns. Instead of a thorn, it's a cross. Or instead of a throne, it's a cross. And yet nothing about it at first would seem glorious. Just in a few days, we will look back to the time where Jesus was arrested And he's tried in a kangaroo court, he's mocked and he's spat on, he's whipped horrifically. He has a crown of long thorns dug into his skull and his body is crucified in front of the whole world, just taking endless amounts of shame. And and God will literally cry in front of the world. Like he'll literally, like the, the God will cry in pain and agony and shame. He's going to plead with his father to take the cup away from him. And it's going to be so stressful for him that he's going to sweat drops of blood. There's nothing about that scene. As Jesus describes here in verse 27 where he says, Now my soul is troubled as he thinks about it. There's nothing that seems glorious about it at all. But of course, knowing what we know now, this death, this suffering was planned between him and the Father before the foundation of the world and that it was substitution for us. We can't help but say, that's amazing. That's glorious. That word, I think, does come to mind when we hear stories about people even doing similar type things, substituting themselves in the place of another. Just this week, we were exposed to a couple of stories. One local here and one on the international level Um, you heard about the firefighter up in Harlem that died fighting a fire to protect people 
Instantly, when we hear about somebody laying down their life like that in the cause of saving someone else, we can't help but think that it's a glorious action. Or, or the, the French police officer, who when the, apparently that ISIS attacker was holding people hostage, offered himself in exchange for the hostage. And the terrorist uh, agreed to do it. He let the innocent person go. He took the police officer and he wounded the police officer and eventually the police officer died from his wounds. And you hear about that. You hear about somebody like, uh, take me. I will go instead of, instead of them. And yes, it is glorious. It is glorious. And so we look to the book of Revelation and we see the very thing that Jesus is praised for is that he is the Lamb of God who is worthy to be slain. That's what it says. They, they praise him because he was killed. The cross displays God's glory because it displays God's perfect plan for human history. He lives the perfect life in our place, thereby making his sacrifice truly worthy for sinners to be saved. And for this, we do glorify him. And yet that's not all the cross accomplishes. Vieta alluded to it earlier. It accomplishes true judgment. So it, it does accomplish true judgment. Look at, again, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now, who is he talking about there? You know, at the cross, as the Ed said earlier, God does judge sin. There's a substitutionary thing going on. He pours out his, his anger at what sin has done at the world on his son, on his, uh, on his perfect son. As the apostle says in, uh, in Romans chapter 3, God puts forward Jesus as a propitiation for our sins, a, a sacrifice that appeases wrath. But also at the cross, Jesus says the devil is judged. That is, at the cross, Satan becomes a defeated foe. And this is in fulfillment of what of that wonderful prophecy right in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If you've ever uh, read the Genesis creation story, you know that they fall into sin in Genesis 3, and judgment is handed down. And the judgment handed down to the devil who tempted them is that one day, one will be born of woman that will come to crush his head, that will defeat him. And what Jesus is saying is that happens at the cross. The one whose temptations you can't seem to escape, he's defeated. The one who seeks to work so much destruction in this world already defeated by the cross of Christ. And therefore you need not fear him. So Jesus, Jesus says, as he thinks about what he's doing, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now is the time that he's being judged at this moment. So the cross becomes the place where all humanity stands or falls. Everything and everyone is divided by the cross in God's economy. Jesus says in another part, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In other words, Jesus makes a distinction between those who receive the cross and those who reject it. 
To those who receive the cross, they receive eternal life now and need never fear judgment again before the throne of God. Never. Because it was accomplished 2,000 years ago. And that leads to the last thing the cross accomplishment accomplishes, and that is it accomplishes salvation for all. So, so it accomplishes true glory to God. He's the first one and the only one to ever do that perfectly. Secondly, it accomplishes the defeat of our enemy. But third, it accomplishes true salvation for all. Look at verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Hopefully we experience that truth here soon in the city. It seems like this winter has lasted extraordinarily long, uh, and <laughs> there seems to always be just the chance that snow might happen one more time. But we're hoping, we're hoping that spring will finally start soon. And what a spring, what a spring celebrate. Celebrate life, celebrates life coming out of death. When I lived in Minnesota for the brief time that I was there, I was in seminary uh, and lived actually in the town where the seminary was for a year and then I finished seminary by extension uh, for years afterwards as I pastored in California. But, but for the time I was there, the first house we moved into was, was on this sort of old farm and as a result, it just had this massive, massive yard around it. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have, uh, you know, like a tractor or I had a push mower. And so, you know, mowing the lawn was like an epic job. And because the land is so, I mean, it gets so much snow throughout the, the winter and there's so much moisture in the ground. I mean, you have to, you actually have to mow it at times in the spring twice a week because it's just like, and, uh, and here's what happened. One of the things that, that happened in that yard as it was growing so fast is dandelions started to crop up in the yard. You, you, I mean, you know what a dandelion is, right? You know, you can pick it up and. And it blows all over the place, which, by the way, don't do that. Um, because what happens, what happens when you do that is, is they spread everywhere. Now, I didn't, I mean, I'm a kid from California, you know, like all of our grass is basically fake, you know. I mean, like we, we can't really sustain grass. You know, we have to pipe in water from other states to do it. But, I, so I didn't know anything about lawn care. I didn't care about lawn care. I just wanted to be short and look nice. And so the first dandelions that came up, I just went, you know, and I didn't have a grass catcher on or anything. I just and let it just spread everywhere. And then the next path, spread everywhere. Spread everywhere. And I'm telling you, the first day it looked beautiful. It was like nice and even and pretty and green. Guess what happened within a few days? We had an insane amount of dandelions everywhere, everywhere. My yard became a yard of dandelion. It was not grass anymore. It was completely and utterly consumed. You can't seem to kill them. And when you think you do, you just multiply them. That's essentially what Jesus is saying his death will do. You think that you're putting an end to my movement. You think that you're putting an end to God. 
by crucifying me. And what I'm going to do as you mow me down is I'm going to spread in ways that you never imagined. I mean, because my church is going to take this seed of the word and is going to spread it everywhere and you're going to see this movement grow in ways that you couldn't possibly fathom now. And sure enough, what does happen? Through this moment on the cross, Jesus doesn't just draw one thief next to him who happens to see him and say, can you remember me? But there's also a Roman soldier who says, well, I, truly, you must be the Son of God. And then after he raises from the dead, there's all these disciples that, uh, that come back to him. They thought he was gone too. They thought he was defeated. And then they come back and they go, whoa, it's real. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. And over and over and over again, it spreads. And so what happens in the day of Pentecost? 50 days later, the word spreads to thousands now the church has gone from this tiny seed of 12 guys to tens of thousands of people in just a few years. By the 4th century, you know, you have the, the Jesus movement has completely, has so completely and overwhelmingly taken over the powerful Roman Empire. Just through this seed spreading, as the Roman Empire tries to snuff it out by killing it down, by martyring people, what happens? It spreads and it spreads and it spreads. So much so that Tertullian, one of the church fathers, could say the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more you try and knock us down, the faster it grows, the faster it grows. And the cross is the absolute beginning and end of all that. It's where it starts and continues and will end. It's at the cross that Jesus begins his movement of spreading to the entire world. So on days when you feel like maybe this movement doesn't seem all that victorious, on days where you feel discouraged, remember that it's often when we feel weakest mowed down God's doing his best work in us and he'll do his best work through us let's bow for a word of prayer Father <clears throat> we want we want so much the crown before the cross. It's not fun to think about being buried in order to produce life. It's not fun to think about even the image of Jesus, you hanging there on the cross. As much as we view it with reverence now, it must have been absolutely terrifying for for your mother, for Mary, to sit there and watch that. Or for John, as he comforted her, to see you in such agony. For Peter, so your close friend who vowed to be next to you the whole time, to watch you be spat on and embarrassed and humiliated and ashamed. And 
for the people to see you get whipped the way you did. It must, it must have just seemed like there was no possible way that anything good was coming from this. But thanks be to God, that is not the end of the story. And so for that, Father, we praise you and give you thanks. Because this is where we find hope. In the one who was crucified on our behalf. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Tonight, before I give announcements and, and we take our offering, I wanted to do something a little, we're going to do something a little different. Um,